This is episode 427 of the AWS podcast, released on February 28, 2021. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Leisha here with you. Great to have you back. I'm riding solo today because Nikki is on vacation. I hope she's enjoying some well-deserved time off. And uh, we're going to start the update show today with uh, some audio feedback. So you may have seen or you may not have seen that we now provide the facility to provide audio feedback to the podcast. This has been a a long-time desire of ours to have this available and we're thrilled to have it uh, available to you. And uh, if you want to do it, I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's just a a bit.ly link that you can connect to and uh, check it out. It's also available directly from the AWS podcast website as well. And basically you can upload some audio. And so uh, we've had a listener do exactly that. And uh, without further ado, let me let him tell you his story and uh, see if we can answer it. Hi, my name is Phil Palombi from New York City, and I'm calling in to let you guys know or maybe just ask you guys why, my Alexa device does not want to play the official AWS podcast at all. No matter what I say, how I say it, what words I use, no matter how nicely I ask Alexa, Alexa, play the official AWS podcast, play the Amazon Web Services podcast. She will not do it. She keeps going to Matt. Oopsie. Yeah, I know something went wrong. I've been asking you for like three days. You won't do it, Alexa. Anyway, so you guys might want to look into it. I find it to be a little ironic. All right, bye. Phil, that is tremendous feedback delivered in a compelling way. And uh, I have to admit, I had never used my particular Echo device to uh, to listen to the podcast. I'm a kind of in-ear kind of guy. And when I tried it, I indeed had exactly the same degree of frustration. It had me flummoxed. And so I did what any good technologist does and I reached out to someone else who I thought might know better. And Kurt Heitz, a solution architect in my team, who is a tremendous guru when it comes to all things voice, he helped me out and he did decoded it for me and it was fiendishly simple. You have to use the word podcast twice. Yes, I didn't realize that either, but um, here's actual live footage of me doing it for you, Phil, so you can see what I had to do to make it work properly. Alexa, play AWS podcast, podcast. Playing AWS podcast from Apple Podcasts. Here's number 425, February 2021 update show one. This is episode 425 Alexa? of AWS. Stop. So you can see the real time, including uh, dog playing on uh, on uh, pen <laughs> sound effects as well. That was not a manufactured thing. That's real time in my house. Uh, so the use of the second podcast is the magic. Now, uh, we've also passed that on to our Alexa team as well to say, hey, this doesn't feel like a great user experience. Maybe we can do better. So thank you very much, Phil, for the feedback. On to the updates for this show. Starting off with analytics, Amazon Elasticsearch service has added support for reporting in Kibana. So this is a new feature that lets you uh, or your Kibana users generate and download reports. They can do it directly from the dashboard, visualize and discover panels and export them to PDF, CSV, and PNG file formats. And Amazon Elasticsearch Service has also added Trace Analytics, which is a new feature for distributed tracing. This lets developers and IT operators find and fix performance problems in distributed applications, which helps you fix things faster. Now, Trace Analytics today supports collection of trace data from application libraries and SDKs, which are 
compatible with the open source OpenTelemetry collector. This includes OpenTelemetry SDKs, X-Ray SDKs, Jager and Zipkin SDKs, as well as a bunch of other cool stuff. The Amazon Redshift query editor now supports clusters with enhanced VPC routing, longer query runtimes, and all node types. Also, you can now leverage the Adibus Secrets Manager to store your cluster credentials and use that with the Amazon Redshift query editor. So this means you can jump into the Adibus Management Console and query things very, very easily without having to do any setup of JDBC and ODBC clients, etc. Now, the query editor is supported on all node types and the timeout limit for queries has increased from 10 minutes to 24 hours. That's a big increase and that's to help you support those queries with longer run times as well. A couple of updates for Adibus Glue Studio. The Adibus Glue Studio jobs can now update Adibus Glue data catalog tables. So this means it's easy to keep your tables up to date as Glue writes new data into Amazon S3, which means you can query it straight away. And anything you can do to improve your ETL times is a good thing. Also, Adibus Glue Studio now supports reading uncatalogued data from Amazon S3 and inferring its schema. So again, this makes it easier to do your ETL jobs because you don't have to figure out as much. Uh, you're relying on Adibus Glue to infer the schema of the data in real time. And this allows you to easily define the transforms on it using the visual job authoring interface. So this is all about moving quicker. Moving on to the topic of application integration, Amazon CloudWatch Synthetics supports Canary events with Amazon EventBridge. So you can now monitor those Canary events. So these are things that give you warning that something's going on that you might not be aware of and allows you to capture and take corrective action very, very quickly. And Amazon SNS, the simple notification service, now supports sending SMS messages to US destinations using 10-digit long codes and toll-free numbers. Uh, these new origination ID types enable SNS customers to send messages using a phone number that's unique to them and provide improved delivery rates. Now, 10DLC was recently launched by telco service providers in the US as a new origination ID type for sending SMS messages from businesses to consumers for transactional and promotional purposes. So things like bill reminders, receipt notifications, or marketing messages. And there's a whole bunch of detail behind this that you can check out in the show notes, but if you're sending texts to US people, this is probably an important thing to be aware of. Onto the topic of business applications. You can now update content of inbound and outbound emails using AWS Lambda in Amazon Workmail. So this allows you to update content of those in-transit emails to and from your organization. So you can adjust the contents to meet security, compliance, or productivity needs. So for example, you could create a, a Lambda function that removes all attachments or adds disclaimers or signatures to the emails before it's delivered. Onto the topic of compute, Amazon EC2 auto scaling now shows scaling history for deleted groups. So previously, if you deleted an auto scaling group, uh, you couldn't find what the story was because you deleted it. Now you can specify one additional parameter in a describe call to get a description of the scaling history for deleted auto scaling groups. This is really useful for keeping a record of things that had happened to the application before you shut it down. A couple of updates for Amazon EC2 Mac instances. It now supports the Mac OS Big Sur, so 11.2.1 as Amazon machine images. And you can now also access the Amazon EFS file system from the EC2 Mac instances running Big Sur. So it all goes together. Uh, so EFS client, which is a, an open source tool set installed using the Homebrew Package Manager, my own package manager of choice on my Mac, uh, you can also mount your Amazon EFS file systems on your instances using the macOS native NFS client version 4.0. 
AWS Fargad has increased the default resource count for service quotas to 1,000. So you can have up to 1,000 concurrent Amazon ECS tasks and EKS pods running on Fargate On Demand and 1,000 concurrent ones running on Fargate Spot. These are default quotas. Uh, you can always ask for more, but the defaults have increased, so you don't have to uh, ask in general. Amazon EKS and EKS Distro now support Kubernetes version 1.19. So this includes ingress API and pod topology spread, reaching stable status, endpoint slices being enabled by default, and immutable secrets and config maps. Lots of other cool updates there as well. Quick note on version 1.15 support. Amazon EKS provides support for at least four Kubernetes versions at any given time. So at the moment, 1.15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 are all fully supported and new clusters can be started using any of these releases. However, given the Kubernetes quarterly release cycle, it's critical for all customers to have an ongoing update plan. Version 1.15 will no longer be supported on May the 3rd, 2021. And Amazon S3 on Outposts now has a smaller storage tier. The new storage tier gives you flexibility to configure 26 terabytes of Amazon S3 storage alongside up to 11 terabytes of Amazon EBS on your AWS Outposts. Now this adds to the 48 terabytes and 96 terabyte tiers that are currently existing for Outposts. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement, Amazon Connect now provides a disconnect reason for voice calls and tasks. So now it'll indicate whether an agent or customer disconnected the call or whether a telecom or network issue caused a call to disconnect or if a task was just completed by an agent or flow. No additional charge to use these metrics. These can help you understand a lot more about what your customers are doing and what your call center operators are doing. And similar to our update earlier about SNS, Amazon Pinpoint now also supports the 10-digit long codes and toll-free numbers for SMS text recipients. So same thing, uh, different service, but same concept. Moving on to the topic of database. Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports always on availability groups for standard edition. So this is the multi-AZ configuration in all regions on standard edition and the new high availability option meets the requirements of enterprise grade production workloads on SQL Server. Amazon Aurora Postgres patches 1.81, 262 and 332 are now available. Detailed release notes available in the show notes, but always good to keep yourself up to date. Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports the January 2021 release updates. So again, these are updates that include bug fixes and other critical security updates. And Amazon RDS now publishes new events for multi-AZ deployments. So this allows you to understand the cause of an Amazon RDS multi-AZ automated database failover so you can detect and respond to your outage faster and you can check out all the failover reasons in the event log. Amazon RDS, just so you know, automatically performs a failover in an event of any of the following. Loss of availability in the primary availability zone, loss of network connectivity to the primary DB instance, compute unit failure on the primary DB instance, or storage failure on the primary DB instance. Now, additionally, this update also reports new events on planned failover actions due to things like scaling compute resources or applying updates during a maintenance window. Amazon Keyspaces for Apache Cassandra now supports PCI DSS compliance, which lets you run payment processing workloads more easily. So if you're after a scalable, highly available and fully managed Cassandra compatible database service, which is also supportive of the PCI compliance regime, you now have it. It's called Amazon Keyspaces for Apache Cassandra. And finally, Amazon DynamoDB Accelerator DAX now supports the next generation burstable general purpose EC2 T3 instance type. So this gives you even more flexibility in terms of how you construct your 
DynamoDB Accelerator or DAX uh, caching system to provide better performance for your applications. If you have a, an application, particularly an application that has very high read requirements, DAX is something that is often really, really compelling. Onto the topic of developer tools. AWS CodeBuild now supports ARM-based workloads using AWS Graviton2. So support for this platform allows customers to build and test on ARM without the need to emulate or cross-compile. And CodeBuild customers targeting ARM benefit from the advanced capabilities of the AWS Graviton2 processors. Uh, the upgrade delivers a major leap in performance and capabilities over the first generation AWS Graviton processors. You get seven times more performance, four times more compute cores, five times faster memory, and two times larger caches. So check it out. Onto the topic of Internet of Things. There is a new troubleshooting feature now generally available for AWS IoT events. And this provides static analysis of your event detector models. Now these are representations of your IoT devices as state machines on the AWS cloud. This feature automatically performs seven different analyses of your models for potential syntax errors, so things like bad expressions or payloads, structural issues, things like missing states or input triggers, and runtime errors, data type mismatch, missing data, potential hit service limits, etc. This debugging tool is particularly useful for complex detector models that have a large number of state changes, each with their own unique conditional logic triggered by multiple input data streams. So the analysis summarizes diagnostic information for each of those seven analyses by severity and identifies its location within the models to makes it so much easier to fix stuff. So if you are doing work in AWS IT events, this will make you very happy. We're also very delighted to introduce the new AWS Solutions implementation, IoT Static IP Endpoints. This solution helps you create a secure virtual private network connection with IoT devices by providing static IP addresses using a single port number. A secure connection is established for the network traffic out to AWS service endpoints or other public internet services. Also, you can provide these static IP addresses to third-party security organizations and have them added to their firewall rules. Onto the topic of machine learning, you can now create Amazon SageMaker Studio pre-signed URLs with custom expiration times. So this makes it very easy to grant access to your SageMaker Studio domain to users in your organization. And you can choose a custom expiration time that can be as low as five seconds. Now the URLs automatically expire in five minutes if you don't choose an expiration time. Onto the topic of management and governance. Amazon CloudWatch Contributor Insights for DynamoDB now supports AWS CloudFormation, so you can use that particular tool as part of your CloudFormation build-out. And AWS Control Tower now provides region selection. So this is a new capability that provides you with the ability to efficiently manage the geographical footprint of your AWS Control Tower resources. You can now select the additional regions you'd like AWS Control Tower to govern, providing you with capabilities to address compliance and regulatory concerns, or balancing the costs associated with expanding into additional regions. Now, region selection is available when you set up a new landing zone or update your AWS Control Tower landing zone version. When you use Account Factory to create new accounts or enroll a pre-existing member account, you use Extend Governance to enroll accounts in a pre-existing organizational unit. AWS Control Tower deploys its governance capabilities of centralized logging, monitoring, and guardrails in your chosen regions in the accounts. Choosing not to extend AWS Control Tower governance to a region will not inhibit your user's ability to deploy AWS resources or workloads into those regions. We now have support for KMS encryption on S3 buckets used by AWS Config. So AWS Config now supports the ability to use the key management service or alias resource names that you provide to encrypt the data delivered to your S3 bucket. You can now assign a delegated administrator 
to manage AWS CloudFormation stack sets across your AWS organization. Delegated administration removes the need for you to access the management account for stack sets administration on behalf of the organization. So using this feature lets you adopt an AWS security best practice, which recommends you delegate responsibilities outside of the management account wherever possible. Moving on to the topic of media services, AWS Elemental Media Live now supports a region transfer for AWS Elemental Link. So this allows you to support your link device from one service region to another, and you can transfer the device to any region that supports Media Live. AWS Elemental Media Live now also expands its automatic input failover capabilities. So these include black frame and audio loss detection. You can use automatic input failover to build highly resilient and redundant live streaming workflows on AWS. So this improves the resilience that you can create. Onto the topic of migration and transfer. AWS Database Migration Service now supports MariaDB version 10.5. So it's that the version you're running, then you'll be happy. Now the topic of mobile. We're pleased to announce the general availability of Amplify Flutter with new data and authentication support. So Amplify is a set of tools and services that help front-end web and mobile developers build secure, scalable, full-stack applications. Flutter is an open-source UI software development kit created by Google for developing applications for Android and iOS from a single code base. So Amplify Flutter brings together Amplify and Flutter. It's designed for developers who have invested in the Flutter ecosystem and now want to take advantage of the power of AWS. You can use the Amplify Flutter libraries with Amplify created backends as well as existing AWS backends. A whole bunch of new things have been added for the GA release. Check out the show notes. And last update today is in the topic of networking and content delivery. AWS Direct Connect announces native 100 gigabits per second dedicated connections at select locations. What a world to live in when native 100 gig is the thing. Uh, So as you would probably recall, AWS Direct Connect gives you private high bandwidth connectivity between AWS and your data center office or colo facility. Native 100 gigabits per second connections provide high bandwidth without the operational overhead of managing multiple 10 gig links with a link aggregation group, which is how we used to do it. Uh, The increased capacity delivered by these connections is particularly beneficial to applications that transfer large-scale data sets, things like broadcast media distribution, advanced driver assistance systems used for autonomous vehicles, and financial services trading and market information systems. Now, you should have more than one of these Direct Connect connections in a production environment. There's lots of best practices about how to use Direct Connect. But now you have at select locations these 100 gig connections available to you. So think of it as one plug instead of 10. It's got to be a good thing. So that's all the updates for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Look forward to hearing from you if you would like to give some verbal feedback. You can check out all the terms and conditions on the feedback website. Again, links from the show notes, links from the podcast webpage. And we do also love to get your feedback the old-fashioned way, as it were. AWS Podcast at Amazon.com is the place to do that. And until next time, keep on building.